Welcome back, everybody, to the Uncensored CMO. Anyone that's watching will see um, I'm, I'm holed up in a sling right now. Unfortunately, I had a little bit of a bump with a car on Boxing Day that's left a few of my ribs uh, rather worse for wear and a collarbone slightly out of place. Now, one of my all-time favorite accounts to follow is Ad Contrarian, which is Bob Hoffman. He has written some amazing books and he is not short of an opinion. Now, when I set up Uncensored CMO, I wanted to get people like Bob to talk about what's really going on in our industry and uncover the good, the bad and the ugly. Now, Bob has written a brilliant book that's out recently called Ad Scan, revealing some of the truths about the kind of digital industry and some of the things that are going on that we should really, really pay attention to. I think what he's talking about is, is a conversation that we're not having in marketing that we really do need to have. The statistics are shocking and the way Bob connects what we invest and spend in advertising online versus some of the divisions in society is quite stark and something that should really worry all of us. So I was very keen to get Bob on the Uncensored CMO to talk to him about what's going on in the industry right now and what should we really care about and maybe what are some of the answers that we can come up with to try and fix what is quite a shocking reality. So um, this is a brilliant conversation. He is an absolute legend, a genuine legend. Uh, Mr. Bob Hoffman, and here's my conversation with him. The legend means I'm old, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, actually, I, I worked with a guy uh, a few years ago, and he was introduced as as vintage, vintage. And I just thought, yeah. I'll go with legend. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're not we're not done yet, are we? Yeah. But uh, but to, but talking of not being done yet, I, I love your newsletter. Been been enjoying it for a long time now. But you announced recently you're going to going to draw that to an end. Um, talk to me about why why now and what are the what are the feelings behind that? I'm losing interest in the advertising business. It's uh, it used to be a fascinating business, and to some degree, I guess it still is. But uh, and I don't know if it's becoming less fascinating or if I'm becoming less fascinating. But uh, it's just not quite as interesting to me as it once was. And spending the better part of a week writing about it is not as uh, intriguing as it once was. You know, the advertising business is so fascinating because, it, you know, people think it's about marketing. It's not. It's about people. It's about understanding people, not understanding markets. And people who are good at advertising are good at understanding people. The problem these days for me is that it has lost its romance. Advertising used to have a certain kind of romance, even though it was a silly business and, you know, you know, we inside the magic circle of marketing and advertising take it very seriously. Outside our magic circle, to the general public, advertising is seen as pretty ridiculous and silly, and um, but always had kind of a romantic aspect to it. And I, I, you know, just to me at least, it's lost that or lost a substantial part of that. And so I'm going to devote my time. I'm still going to write and talk about advertising, but not to the extent that I once did. Yeah. And what, have you got a, a book lined up? I think you said you've got, you got something, anything you can reveal or yeah, what's, what's yeah, next for, yeah. for you? My, my next book is going to be an audio book. It's called The Simple Art of Advertising or How to Stop Complicating the Shit Out of Everything. <laughs> And um, the book is going to be a compilation of audio stuff I've done, whether it's speeches or podcasts and videocasts like this, 
I think it, I'm hoping it's going to be interesting. It's going to, it's going to kind of bring together everything I think about the advertising industry and what we've been doing and how it should be done properly and uh, where we may have gone off the track a little. When you're speaking in front of an audience, in some countries, you get a lot of feedback. You get, you can tell, and in others you can't. I, I gave a talk in Germany last year or two years ago, and uh, it was to the ad tech industry, and I was completely ripping the ad tech industry apart, and they were sitting there, and uh, I thought, God, I'm never going to do this again. I'm done with speaking. I can't do I got back to my hotel. They said, can you come back, Bob? I came back and they gave me a, an award for being the best speaker at the conference. You, you must feel like the Antichrist. Yes. Like, yeah. and, and they wanted you back, right? Yeah. You just exposed the entire industry, right? Yes. You've ripped them a, a short, right, yes. a new one, and they want you back. And they gave me an award for being the best speaker. No and way. I, and I thought, I thought they were going to storm the stage and rip me apart. Now that. So you, you just don't know. Sometimes you know. But sometimes you just don't. There are certain right, countries yeah. where people just sit there and... Yeah. You're right. It's, it's a bit like podcasts, actually. I, I find with this, sometimes I'm going, ah, oh, damn it, I didn't say this, I didn't respond to that, I could have gone to this angle. And then um, sometimes the more you analyse it, the, the worse it feels. But actually, when you read it back, it's, you know, look, look it back, it's fine. You know, yeah, no, I know that. Um, I, a quote I came across, actually, um, thinking about Ag Contrary, I love it, you know, is um, Byron Sharp apparently said he wished he could be as rude as you. Yeah. Now, Byron, as we know, is probably one of the most opinionated people in the industry. So that's quite an accolade to get that. Yeah, it was. I was. It was great to see that because... Well, you know, Byron's an academic. They, they, I don't think they can say exactly what's on their mind. I have none, you know, I don't have a boss. I don't have a job. So I can say whatever the hell I want. And, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to suffer for it. Maybe I won't get booked to a conference. I don't care about that. So, but, uh, yeah, but it's great to have someone like Byron say something. Because he can be pretty rude, too, I was going to say, know? Byron doesn't yeah. hold back. I mean, yeah. he's famous for being pretty sharp, you know, to excuse yeah. the pun. Um, but th this is an important thing, though, because when I um, when I created the podcast, uh, up to that point, I worked as a, a CMO for a number of different companies. Mm -hmm. And I would, everything I said publicly had to be pre-approved with the PR department, right? It was, you know, scripted. Mm -hmm. And then when I was independent, I could say what I wanted. I remember the um, the story, actually, of how I came up with the podcast was I was out in Cannes. Now, I'd never been to Cannes. Actually, have you been to Cannes? Never. You talked to, like, no, and I... I Promise I'll never go. <laughs> well, I was, I'd, I've won Can Lions. I've never been to Can, right? And I got invited. This yeah. is this is when I was independent. And um, I got interviewed by CNBC on the beach. And um, they said, what do you think of this? And I said, well, look, it's a bit embarrassing, right? Because the one person not here is the customer. The person that's paying for all this is not here, right? Anyway, so I, I, I kind of gave my views. And um, James, the interviewer, said to me, he said, damn it, man. He said, I've interviewed 15 CMOs and you're the first uncensored CMO I've come across. I'm like, that's it. But that's the thing, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, we're all paid. Well, unless we're independent like you, we're all paid by someone and we've all got a, a party line. So I think it's brilliant that you're able to kind of call it out for what it is. It, it's a great feeling to be able to say what you really think. And it's not easy in business these days because, you know, we're always... We have a client or we have a boss or we have someone and we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. When I was CEO of an ad agency, I was, you know, I had to be very careful because if I said something stupid 
and we got fired by a client, I wasn't going to lose my job, but 20 or 30 other people might. And they have families and they have homes and they have cars. So I had to be pretty circumspect about what I said. And But being free of that is a great feeling. It is, isn't it? So as you look back over your career, what would you say is the most contentious or most contrarian thing you've ever said? In 2010, that was 13 years ago, I wrote a piece for Ad Week magazine saying, Big Brother has arrived and he's us. And the idea was that that tracking was going to be dangerous, it was going to be bad for democratic societies, was going to uh, be dangerous for individuals. And people looked at me like I was crazy. What are you talking, what? It's just advertising. I said, no, it's not just advertising. We're following everyone everywhere. We're starting to. In those days, we weren't quite as sophisticated or as technologically adept as we are now. We're starting to follow everyone everywhere and know everything they're doing, and that is going to lead to nothing but trouble. And in those days, that was like, wow, where is this guy coming from? But uh, I think I was right. And um, I think there has been a lot of trouble that has been derived from spying on the public. But you can see how the industry was sold this, because from an advertiser's point of view, you can see the logic, right? You can target ads to the right people at the right time with the right message. The people consuming it can choose to opt in and opt out and only get the ads relevant to them. You, you can see how the whole thing looked on the surface of it pretty appealing, right? So it does look good. But in your book, Ad Scam, you've got some pretty incredible data on the amount of personal information that is available to big tech about what we do every single day, which, you know, sort of blew me away. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about some of the data, you know, that's being well, used. The, the scariest one is that uh, a report that was done in Europe that by the time a child is 13 years old, the ad tech industry has 72 million data points on that child. That is unconscionable. It's going to lead to nothing but trouble. It has led to nothing but trouble. And it is bizarre. It's something from another world. It's not from our world. The sad part is that the advertising and marketing industry doesn't seem to be too worried about it. Well, this this is something I want to ask you about, because you, you said something about how the, you know, it's driving a wedge in society. Now, I think if you, if you talk to pretty much anyone about society right now, it, we've never felt more divided. There's never been more negative news. It's never felt you know, more uncomfortable, like, I suppose, you know, where society is at the moment. And I've never thought about advertising industry as being part of the problem, right? But actually, in your book, you're pretty clear that actually we're complicit oh. in where society is going. We're funding this whole thing. And that was something that even having worked in the industry 25 years and you know, I've spent tens, hundreds of millions of pounds uh, on advertising, I've never thought of myself as complicit in the problem. But you make that, pretty, you make that case pretty strongly, don't you? Yeah, advertising, you know, the, you know inside, the, inside our little uh, world, uh, advertising and marketing, we, we take this stuff very seriously. Outside of our little world, the advertising industry is looked at as kind of ridiculous and silly. but and, and for a long time, maybe it was ridiculous and silly, but it's not anymore. Now it's become dangerous. And that's because of tracking and because of what tracking has done. 
a study by uh, Facebook executives in 2018 found that 64%, virtually two-thirds of people who, who joined extremist groups on Facebook did so because they were led there by the Facebook algorithm. And where does the Facebook algorithm get its information from tracking us? So the, the effects of tracking aren't really so bad on advertising. They're bad on advertising, but they're worse on the side effects, on what happens with that data, how that data is used for other purposes. And so, so Facebook has all this information. Your Facebook looks completely, page looks completely different from mine. Why? Because the algorithm that describes you is completely different from the algorithm that describes me. And they know how to keep us in the corral. And they want to keep us in the corral because the longer we're there, the more money they make by selling us to advertisers. And they feed us incrementally more lurid notions of our own beliefs. That's how they keep us in the corral. And this leads us into rabbit holes, and the rabbit holes introduce us to extremists, and the, and then you have two thirds of people winding up who, who wind up in extremist groups, are are led there by the algorithms. Very dangerous. Uh, I don't know how it how it is here in the UK. In the US, it's impossible. You used to be able to have a conversation if you were a liberal or a conservative. You could have a conversation with someone of the other party. If they were people of uh, goodwill, you could have a reasonable conversation. You can't anymore. Now it's a screaming match and an argument, and it has been fed to a great extent by the data that is being collected by the advertising industry and used online to feed us stuff that keeps us uh, quote, engaged. I mean, you talk about US. In the UK, actually, we had a tragic story fairly recently. A young girl actually committed suicide. And um, I think live on TV, they set up a, I don't know if it was an Instagram or Facebook account, but they set up an account and replicated some of the questions she was asking about in terms of self-harm. And they they, they realised how quickly it took them to videos showing how you might commit suicide. I mean, it was insane. Within a few minutes on TV, they could show you the journey from an innocent girl asking a question to seeing some pretty awful content. So scary stuff. So so I want to be clear on one thing. The problem is not advertising. The problem is tracking. The problem is spying. Advertising is necessary for the free web as we currently understand it. Everything we like about the web, the entertainment, the information, the communication, is funded by advertising. I mean, it costs a lot of money to run a website, and it costs a lot of money to run a platform, and they have to make that money somewhere, and advertising is where that money comes from. So advertising is necessary, but tracking is not. We, we, we did advertising for decades without tracking, without following people. We did it very successfully. We did it very profitably. And there's really no reason why we have to spy on the public to be successful advertisers. Now, the, the ad tech industry has sold regulators on the idea that tracking is necessary to their business model. That if, they, that if they can't do tracking, their business model falls apart. 
And if you think about it, all that is, is another way of saying that online advertising is such a weak force that the only way it can be successful is through spying on the public. That tells you everything you need to know. It does. Well, it, I mean, apart from anything else, apart from the moral point you just made, it also leads to pretty rubbish advertising, doesn't it? Right? <laughs> I mean, when, when you know everyone's going to, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I learned my craft 20, 30 years ago, but when I when I was growing up doing my first campaigns, you'd get everyone around the TV at six thirty in the evening to see your ad, or you know, in Coronation Street, or you'd. I, I used to plan a day out to go and photograph all my out, out of home billboards you know and, and I used to get a list of where they were you kind of knew where they were and people would talk about them and and there's something about everyone else seeing what you're doing and, and all that kind of thing but the interesting thing about traditional advertising is although you haven't necessarily got the data on exactly who's seen it um the evidence is all out there right you, you know you walk past it you see it on tv but with digital you just you know although you might have the data on precisely the demographic that's seen it um you don't you just don't have the evidence that people actually have actually seen it i mean it's quite different isn't it it's very different and uh one of the i think one of the great misconceptions of the current era of advertising is the idea of of one-to-one personalized perfectly targeted advertising that's not how advertising works. One-to-one personalized advertising is, is private advertising. You don't know what I'm seeing. I don't know what you're seeing. Advertising works best when it's public advertising. When I know what you're seeing, you know what I see. Advertising, the basis of advertising, if you, if you cut away all the bullshit, what it's about is creating fame for a brand. That's what it's about. A brand that is famous has such an advantage over its competitors that are not famous. Fame is an enormous benefit in ad- advertising, in business, in life in general. How did yeah. Donald Trump become president of the U.S.? Because he was famous. If, his, if The Apprentice had been a webinar, <laughs> I guarantee you he would never have been president of the United yeah. States. But it was a, TV, a network TV show for 14 years. Fame is an enormous advantage. You know, I wrote a piece once called The Three-Word Brief, and I said, if, I, if you were my agency, if I was the CEO of a company and you were my agency, I'd give you a three-word brief. Make us famous. The, because it, the advertising and marketing is all about likelihoods and probabilities. There's no absolutes, yes and no, always, never, right and wrong. It's only about probabilities. And the most probable advantage that advertising can give you to create business success is fame. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, the system one where I work, we, we, we did a study looking at uh, fame, uh, f- uh, feeling, kind of how people feel about your brand and fluency, which is similar to fame, but how easily you come to mind. Because the more famous you are, the more likely you'll, you know, you'll spring to mind first. And the correlation between how successful the brand was and those three measures was 0.85. It predicted almost perfectly you know, that, that, you know, basically fame, the more famous you are, the bigger you'll be. It's, just, it's one of those truisms. I, our friend Rory, of course, I love, one of his quotes I love of his is, the better you're creative, the less you should target, yeah. you know, which I think is brilliant, isn't it? Because yeah. it makes that point is actually really famous uh, ads are ones that we all talk about. We all see they become part of culture. They become a reference point. And as you say in your book, which I love, advertising fundamentally is actually a very weak force, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we take it very seriously because we, you know, we earn a living from it. But the reality is most people don't give a shit, you know, about our brand. Most people don't see our advertising. Most people don't really care. 
And so, you know, serving them up another banner ad that they're going to try and click past when they're trying to buy a pair of shoes, you know, is not going to make them more enamored to our brand. We need to be more creative, you know, more, you know, come up with bolder ideas and things that are going to, you know, going to be seen by everyone, make us famous. Yeah, creativity has been devalued because targeting and media have become such an obsession with our industry. Creativity has been devalued. And I think we're losing a lot of good people because of that. I think a lot of good creative people are looking at other ways to have a creative career other than to go into advertising. And advertising used to be a business of entrepreneurs. It used to be a business of people with with certain skills who would come together. Now it's run by big Wall Street, you know, financial big shots. It's not as, it's almost like the wrong people are running the business. It's not being run by advertising people anymore. It's being run by financial people. And maybe that's good for shareholders and maybe it's good for, I don't know, but it's not good for the clients and it's not good for the industry. I think the problem here is people want predictability and and certainty, don't they? Mm -hmm. And and that's moving us towards technology. I mean, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was with the emergence of AI and chat GPT as an example of that, is that going to further push creativity and human ingenuity and ideas away outside of the, you know, the business of marketing? So I guess, look, up to now, we've kind of got, okay, the machines can control the media buy, but now the machines are controlling the media message as well. I mean, that's pretty scary. That, that kind of takes, that takes us even further away from the art of yeah. advertising. The, the machines haven't controlled the media part very well. I mean, we, we know how much fraud there is. We know how the machines are easily fooled. The, the machines controlling the creative part, they will be able to control the mediocre creative. They will be able to create mediocre content as well as human beings can create mediocre content. But until I see something special, then I'll start to believe it's, that it's healthy and good. Until then... Yeah, they'll do media, you know, they'll they'll take the mediocre stuff that's written and they'll rework it in AI and it'll be more mediocre stuff. Can they do great stuff? I haven't seen it yet. One, one other question I want to go back to as well, thinking about um, the, the d- digital and advertisers. Yeah. Advertisers at the moment get very... Uh, kind of very activist about making sure, you know, they say the right thing, they get behind good causes. I mean, yeah. it, it, the hilarious one at the moment, I don't know if you've seen it, is M&M's withdrawing their characters because Tucker Carlson said something rude about the shoes one of them was wearing. I mean, yeah. it's insane, you know, having a having a moral stance on something like that is just, just incredible, right? Yeah. The thing I don't get, get my head around is advertisers want to be seen to be doing the right thing. But when we talk about you know, ad fraud and targeting and where the money that, that they are providing for big tech is going, not a word. Yeah. What, 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 why, what, so why is it that companies are not taking this seriously? They're not taking it seriously because the public isn't taking it seriously. The public doesn't realize how dangerous tracking really is and how it is harmful to democratic societies, to the integrity of democratic institutions. If the public were to realize that, corporations would understand it better. But corporations do things that are, you know, shiny. Things that, the oh, you know, we're in favor of this, we're in favor, oh, aren't they wonderful? You know, it's mostly bullshit. 
Uh, I, I am in favor of corporations doing the right thing for the right reason, but I'm not in favor of them rubbing my nose in it and, and making marketing out of what should be charity. You know, you, we, we all give to charity. I don't put up billboards telling the world how much money I give to charity every year, but corporations do. And to me, that's unseemly. Do it because it's the right thing to yeah. do, not because you're making marketing hay out of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, what, what, what do you, what's the incentive here? Because I was trying to work out myself as I read your book, Ad Scam, which is amazing, by the way. Um, what, what, why are we not taking this seriously? And I was trying to think, you know, as, as a CMO myself previously, I suppose I, you know, I, I was heavily involved in the creative. I probably have a media agency do my media buy, but... I didn't really understand much about actually how the media buy took place, the technology that's used to buy and, and how my ads were distributed. And a good friend of mine who, who does work in the ad tech world said to me, the thing is, John, marketers have got no clue. Most marketers right now are completely ignorant about how actually ad tech works, how, how from what you spend and you know, your, your, what your brief is through to actually who sees it. Most people are clueless. Um, so talk to me about how ad tech works and how kind of you how the programmatic i loved your programmatic poo analogy <laughs> that was actually brilliant but i think one of the issues here is i just don't think marketers realize because so much of marketing is outsourced and you, you know you, I, you know i used to spend tens of millions with media buyers you know i, I would kind of trust them i'd go well of course you know we're doing the right thing because i you know i've got this very you know big media agency you know kind of doing it for me but explain how it works i think if people understand how it works that might be the start to the, the problem is there are maybe 10 people in the world who really understand how it works, and the rest of us are just guessing because it's mainly a black box. One of the simple ways to understand how complex it is and how difficult it is to understand what's going on is a study done by ISBA here in, in the UK a couple of years ago in which they determined that the average online media programmatic online media buy by a sophisticated company winds up on 40,000 websites, okay? So how in the fucking world are you supposed to understand what's happening on 40,000 websites and whether your ad actually appeared there? All you get are reports. They tell you this and they tell you that. You don't know if the reports are true or not. And um, it's impossible to do forensics on 40,000 websites. So nobody knows where their money is really going. They get reports telling them where their money is going, but the reports are unreliable. There was a great case in the U.S. recently where a uh, company called Gannett Publishing, they published USA Today, which is a very popular newspaper and website in the U.S., but they also published 250 little community newspapers. Well, it turned out that 9 billion ads that were supposed to run on USA Today ran on the 250 little websites. And this was going on for nine months, 9 billion ads, and nobody knew it. That is the, insane. The, 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 the market, and we're talking about sophisticated marketers here. You know, I, I don't have the list with me, but it was like uh, Nike, Adidas, Ford, yeah. uh, sophisticated advertisers 
billions of ads run, run in the wrong places for three. And they were getting reports telling them that their ads ran in USA Today. And they were, I see, see, boss, we're doing great. We had all, it was all bullshit. But this is the issue, right? It's what I come back to before, because like if I book a Super Bowl spot, right? Yeah. I know there's 70 million Americans will be sat there watching the TV. I'll be there. Everyone will see it, right? Yeah. They, 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 you know, if, if I book a Super Bowl ad and it doesn't run, I get my $6 million back, right? It's, it's clear as day. If I book a programmatic and it goes out to 40,000 websites, I can't even employ enough people to go and look at whether that actually happens. And the irony is, I mean, I talk to a lot of TV companies in the job I do, they all want to replicate the kind of data that big tech are doing, right? This is the irony of it. They're all going, how do we do what they're doing, right? And I'm going, well, what you're doing is more transparent, it's more obvious, it's more evidence, right? It's, that's, the irony is astonishing. Yeah, but because they, they, they just want the money and they know where the money is going. And for, for the past 15 years or so, the money has been moving to online and they want a part of that. And, and how has online got that? By promising people that uh, online advertising is more personalized and uh, more relevant and consequently more appealing. Well, it's not. Online advertising is more avoided, it's more disliked, and it's more ignored. But they've been great at selling it. Okay, well, let's get into this because you have some pretty incredible stats in your book here. What's the difference between ad impressions and actual views? Because I think that, 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 that's quite shocking when you look at what you bought versus what actually you got. I'm not a media guy. I'm a copywriter. But ad impressions are the number of people who are capable of seeing your ad. Because presumably the ad was served to them. Now, we know without question that a lot of the people are not people. They're bots. And a lot of the websites the ads are being sent to are not websites. They're bots. But even assuming they are. The fact that the ads are capable of being seen doesn't mean they're being seen. As a matter of fact, a Lumen research here, I think has some research that shows that uh, online display ads are uh, only 9% of people even spend one second looking at an online display ad, which is different from say, attention, where we're measuring what people are actually doing, not what is potential to yeah. be done. Yeah. And uh, I think the industry is moving that way. I think that's healthy. But, uh, you know, there's still a long way to go. I mean, you're right on attention, actually. I mean, we did some, at System One, we did some work with Lumen. And it was absolutely fascinating because the delta between the number of minutes of attention actually achieved if you take TV, let's say TV, the most attention-rich media, through to uh, in-feed being the least, uh, least attention-rich, the difference was about eight to ten times the amount of attention actually achieved per impression. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible difference. I mean, if you were buying media based on attention, not based on impressions, the value you'd pay would be like completely different. The other thing that was really fascinating as well, we'll get to this in a second about the creative the difference in the creative quality as well, as we go back to our broad, you know, brand building versus the personalization, the broad brand, brand building kind of work got three times the attention, right? So you add that together, this is compound effect of high attention media plus high, you know, brand uh, content, huge attention difference compared to, you know, more direct marketing on, on low attention platforms. Yeah. The difference was just astonishing. And, and advertising that 
achieves no attention is completely worthless. What's the point of running ads that nobody sees? I used to call it invisible advertising. And most advertising is invisible. Most advertising has no attention paid to it. The skill in the advertising business is to be able to create something that does get attention. If you can't do that, forget about it. Save your money. Yeah, that's got to be the first bit of the brief, right? Yeah. How are I going to get attention? Yeah. Then we can talk, right? right you know, that's, exactly. that, that's kind of table stakes. Yeah. It's funny, I, I did a post on, on LinkedIn the other day, which was like 10 things your gran could have told you about advertising, you know? And, and it's crazy because like, if we, if we stop being marketers for five minutes and think, how do we consume advertising, right? Do I skip past most ads in my, in my social media feed? Of course I do, right? Do I ignore most posters? Of course I do, right? But for some reason, when we work in advertising, we somehow take it all more seriously because it's our business and it pays our bills. And we've got to start, you know, thinking like a, thinking like our gran. You know, what would our gran tell us, you know? Well, we were sold on this idea of interactivity, this bullshit about that people are going to want to interact with advertising and they're going to join the conversation about <laughs> our brands and they were going to share. Our, it was all bullshit. And uh, interactivity is what? It's by a thousand to one. It's people clicking away from ads, yeah. not into ads. Well, the funny thing is when, when brands try and do interactivity, they usually cock it up as well. When you, when you see kind of brands trying to be funny on Twitter or try and get in on a cultural conversation, they basically piss half the audience off. <laughs> don't know. It's, it's like if you take a point of view on politics, right? You, you, that's not going to end well, is it? You know, I don't want my toilet paper having a point of view on which way I voted in the last election. You know, is my toilet paper pro-Brexit pro or anti-Brexit? I don't know. You know, these things become crazy. Um, Look, something else that came out in your in your ad scan book, which I wanted to talk to you about, is is ad fraud, right? Yeah. Give me the data because the data is pretty scary. And, and any if this was happening in any other environment, on any other stage, on any other in the world, this would be headline news. Yes. And it's not. So, firstly, yeah. how bad is ad fraud? And secondly, why do you think this is not major news? Uh, ad fraud is very bad, probably. Nobody knows for sure. Sadly, there's no international registry of fraud where bad guys go and tell us how much they're st stealing. But reputable researchers believe that ad fraud is probably about 20% of all online advertising spent, which would be in the neighborhood of 70 to $80 billion a year, which, if, if true then ad fraud is a bigger business than Coca-Cola or Nike. So, you know, if you, if you want to go through the numbers, Advertising Age magazine used 20% as a number. There's a company called Juniper Research that had $68 billion a year is being stolen. The Association of National Advertisers in the U.S. said it was 80 billion and at one point they said it was 120 billion and then they took it all back because they didn't want to be seen as uh you know they're afraid is essentially they're afraid of those numbers and uh the world federation of advertisers says that by 2025 ad fraud could be the second largest source of criminal income in the world after drug trafficking so it is probably a huge problem uh, and it's a huge problem for a number of reasons. Num uh, number one is it's stealing a lot of money from marketers. 
And number two, it's probably funding, that money that's being stolen is probably funding some very bad things. It would not be unthinkable that all those billions of dollars are funding uh, criminal activities, funding drug creation all over the world. And, and it's not unthinkable that all that money is also being used by governments who are antagonistic to democratic values and are plugging that money into uh, harming democratic institutions and democratic governments. I mean, in the United States, nobody trusts elections anymore. It's not a coincidence that Russia in 2016 was running ads all over Facebook, disguised as other organizations, undermining belief, the institutions of government. So it's a very dangerous thing. And, and the marketing industry doesn't want to talk about it or hear about it. Everyone's making money from online advertising, at least has been until recent recessionary uh, things. Uh, and nobody wants to kill the golden goose and nobody wants to... Uh, it's in nobody's interest. You'd think that marketers who are losing all this money, it would be in their interest to make this a big deal, to expose it and to chase after it. But think about being a CMO. You've been telling your board and your CEO for years, what magic, online advertising. All of a sudden, you're going to go in there and say, um, uh, I was only kidding. Actually, we're getting fucked blind uh, by, by fraud. No, you don't want to do that. And if you're the CEO of a company and you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on online advertising, your company is every year. Do you want to tell the board that you're pissing away tens of millions of dollars every year? No, you don't want but to. The that. thing is that... As you know, in your book, there's other cases where advertisers have stopped paid search or they've stopped programmatic. And then, do you know what? Nothing happens, right? And we're talking, we're not talking small experiments. We're talking big brands turning off entire country, you know, countries worth of, uh, you know, programmatic or, or search. And so the evidence appears to be there. And in your book, of course, has got lots of evidence. So why is no one listening? I don't know. Yeah. Why has nobody listened to me for my whole life? I don't know. <laughs> Come on, Bob. Yeah. Talk to my <laughs> this wife. This is the moment, right? My Come wife on. can tell you this why nobody listens. CMO. This, is, this is it. We're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, it's a mystery to me. It's absolute mystery. to. I guess one of the things is that for so long, advertising was seen as airy-fairy. We didn't have facts. All we had was opinions. And this, this is a good ad. Well, how do I know this is a good ad? Because I said so. And I'm an advertising genius. So, so clients had to listen to this bullshit for years. And all of a sudden, along comes technology. And technology promises we're going to actually know who's looking at the ads and what, the, and what this is and what that is. And um, wow, we bought this lock stock. Finally, there's some science. Well, it turns out the science is, is largely bullshit. And it turns out the science isn't describing what we need to know. And, and all our KPIs, are we're probably studying the wrong things. For example, our, uh, our cost per thousands, our CPMs, in in the in the in the non-digital world, if you have low CPMs, you're probably doing good. You're buying things for less. In the digital world, if you have low CPMs, you're probably doing shit. You're buying bots. You're you're going to websites that don't exist. You're getting the cheapest crap. Why is it? Because it's worthless. There's no people there. It's all a con game. So the the, the metrics which we're supposed to 
help us so much. Actually, what we think we know now is probably worse than what we used to know before all these metrics. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. That, that, that's exactly the thing, because you know, having grown up in my marketing career through the age of you know, where it's all, we've all gone digital, um, that, was, that was what we were sold. We were sold targeting, personalization, we were sold data, you know, you'd know where everyone is, what they're doing, the demographics, you'd know, you know, how many people have clicked on it, how many responses, you might even know whether the brand impression's gone up or whether people feel better about your brand because they've seen it on on the website sort of thing. And and that's what we've been sold, right? Yes. So ev- everyone is, and therefore digital is seen as modern uh, compared yeah. to traditional, is seen as out of date and and, right. and, and, and not as good, right? And and yet, like you say, suddenly you know, we we bought a fake yeah. Rembrandt. You know, there's a great there was a great study done by three people. I think one was from IBM uh, or MIT. One was from MIT. One was from University of Melbourne, and one was from um, one of the big ad tech companies. And they took third party data and they studied how well and they did an analysis how well this third-party data did in describing, targeting, and they found that the third-party data was able to infer the gender of a of a person 46% of the time. <laughs> if my dog flipped a coin, he'd be right 50% of the time. I was going to say, right. that's, that's worse than average. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and they took all this data and, yeah. Yeah, that is totally it's insane. a great study. Well, yeah. breaking news yesterday, right? I, I don't yeah. know if you saw this on Google. You know, yeah. um, U.S. Justice Department uh, in I think eight different states in in, in the U.S. is actually suing, isn't it, Google yes. uh, over monopolistic use, you know, use of technology to control online advertising. Given that you know they bid on their own space and so on, do do you think uh, lawsuits like that, you know, awareness is is starting to change? Because uh, I, I guess where I got to with your book is I read it it's very challenging and, and you kind of, you've, you know, you feel a bit of complicity, you know, as an advertiser in this whole thing, but you quickly go to, well, what can I do as one advertiser? Right. And isn't there a need for governments who oversee regulation to step in? Isn't that what we really need? Something a bit more legislative. Yeah. It would be lovely if the marketing and advertising industry were responsible enough to handle their own dirty laundry, but we have proven not to be. And consequently, I think it is time for governmental intervention. Now, I'm, I'm not one of these people who thinks government should uh, control everything. And, but in this particular case, I think we've shown ourselves to be incapable, immature, and be, someone needs to step in and control this because it's gotten too dangerous. The, the ed tech companies have become... Um, more powerful than governments in certain cases and in certain ways. And that's not healthy. And, you know, we've seen what happens, you know, government agencies fine. Every week there's a new fine against Facebook or Google or Apple or, or, and uh, so what happens? They pay their fines and then they go back to business as usual. And how long can we allow this to happen? I don't think uh, for very long. I I wanted to move uh, try and end on a high, right? Because ah, it, yes. we, 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 we've properly torn the industry apart here, haven't we? So, you know what? Every, every <laughs> podcast, every interview I do, they want to end on a high note. I know, exactly. And, and, I, I, and they got the wrong guy for ending exactly. on a high. Exactly. So look, we, 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 we've served up the bad news here. Um, 
And look, Bob, you know, you, yeah. you've said that, you know, you've been, you've been talking, you're talking about this for a long time. You've written a lot of books about it. You've been on a lot of stages. You've done a lot of talks, you've been on a lot of podcasts and that sort of thing. And you've been banging the drum, right? What would your advice be to marketers today? What should we be doing? So if you were managing Nike or you're managing, you know, a big brand, big global brand, you're the CMO, right? Yeah. What would you, I guess, two questions. What would you do to help address this? But also what would you do as a marketer, uh -huh. you know, uh, to market successfully today? To help address this, uh, I guess there are three things I would do. Number one is re-emphasize creativity in advertising and marketing. Number two is to get out of the fantasy world that we're living in, in which we think consumers are like us and they see the world the way we see the world. And number three, and probably the most important both for the marketing industry and for our society, is to stop tracking people. Stop the spying, stop the espionage. Until that ends, the problems of online marketing and advertising are not going to be resolved. Because when you pick up the rock, all the, all the junk that's going on under there, the... the the um, original sin is tracking. And that has led to so many problems, so much misconception, so much danger to society, I think. Now, uh, most of my listeners will be CMOs, uh, senior ad execs, that kind of yeah. thing. Now, obviously, we can't physically stop the tracking. But what would you suggest we do, kind of put pressure when we do media? I mean, I, yes. I suppose we control the purse strings, right? Because you know, 80%, I think, of Facebook revenue doesn't come from people, you know, paying monthly subscriptions. It comes from advertisers, right? 98%. Oh, is it 98%? Yeah. That's why it's free. So we enjoy this free service and we yes. think it's lovely. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not being given to us out of the generosity of some big company. Yeah. It's given to us. In We're doing a trade with the devil, effectively, aren't we? We're, we're kind of agreeing to take something for free in return for advertising. Yeah. So we are complicit and we are funding it. But what pressure can we bring? Is it a case of kind of making more conditions with our ad buy. So, you know, right before we spend all the money, kind of uh, putting pressure on big tech here, or how can we do this? Or do we need to collaborate as an industry, maybe to move together on it? I think if the marketing industry and the individuals in charge of the marketing industry would take a step back and see what troubles we're creating and get together and say, how can we end this? There needs to be, because if they don't, the government's going to do it. And the, go, the, the, the things that the government are going to do, as things governments usually do, are going to be wacky and destructive and harmful to business. When all we really need to do as an industry is remember that it's not, the ad, it's not advertising that's the problem. It's the spying that's the problem. For decades, we have been capable of targeting brilliantly, creating brilliant, successful brands, making lots of money as an industry without spying on individuals. And, and we need to find a way for ad tech. Ad tech is not going to go away. But we need to find a way for ad tech to be able to progress without the spying. If I was the uh, 
head of the marketing gurus of the world organization, that I'd sit down with my the 10 smartest marketing people and say, how can we do ad tech without doing spying? There's got to be, I'm, I, I don't know, I'm not smart enough, but those guys are, th those women are, they should sit down and try and figure that out. That would solve so many of the problems that we have talked about today. That's, that's brilliant, Bob. And, and then lastly, so if you're a marketer starting out today, you know, kind of forging your career, what will you be doing knowing all this in terms of, you know, being an effective marketer? Being an effective marketer is about understand, like I, where we started, understanding human beings. How do human beings work? Forget about how marketing works. Think about how human beings work. And if you understand how human beings work and you, you, you know, sit in a pub and watch people watch a game on television, what ads are they paying attention to? What ads are they chatting to their friends? Being an observer is such an important part of being a marketer. I think marketers are learning the wrong things in school. I think they're learning the wrong things in marketing courses. Now, advertising is only a small part of marketing. So let, let, let me edit what I just said. And I think marketers are learning the wrong things about advertising. Marketers are not good at advertising for the very simple reason. What works in marketing doesn't work in advertising. Marketing is about logic. It's about thinking logically, solving problems, uh, cause and effect. If I, do, if I do A, B will occur. And consequently, and for good reason, marketers are, are taught to, to think that way. Unfortunately, advertising doesn't work that way. Advertising doesn't work as a court case who's my brand has this, this, and this, and that brand has that, that, and that. Therefore, my brand is better. That's how you advertise, and that's how you win. No, it doesn't work that way. And so, so marketers have to learn a whole new way of thinking about advertising to be good at it. Yeah, us, Bob. It's funny, I, 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 I trademarked this little thing called the marketing bottom, I called it. It's like, a, it's like an inverse bell curve. Imagine a bell curve on, you know, on its bottom. And you start with um, how much you know about marketing, right, and versus the average person in the high street, you know, versus your gran or whatever. And basically, I think what happens is most people go backwards. They go down before they go up because, you know, you, 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 know, you, start, to, you, know, you start to look at the data, you know, from big tech. You start to believe all this, you know, all the hype. And, and you, you, I think most people, and actually I, I, t I really believe in what you said there, is that we need to start thinking like the average person. We need to remember what we're like when we consume media or, you know, we buy brands and, and get out there and meet consumers and understand oh that's how you know that's actually how real people work you know and we almost we, you're right about the education we need to get back to the fundamentals of marketing and, and remind people actually why people buy people th there's a blues song called feeling good and this blues song was written by a guy named jb lenore uh says more about marketing than all the marketing classes you're going to read, uh, the books you're going to read ever. And the, and the lyrics go like this, feeling good, feeling good, all the money in the world spent on feeling good. That's why people spend money. That's why people buy things. They think they're going to make them feel good and they're going to buy the brand that they think, uh, think is going to make them. Why do I buy this peanut butter versus that? I don't know. Somehow about this feels good. It makes me feel good. Why do I buy this car versus that car? Uh, I think per dollar, this car is going to make me feel better than that car. 
Why, why do I buy this jacket versus that jacket? I think this jacket's going to make me feel good. And if you keep that simple thing in mind, you'll be so much a better advertiser and marketer. It's not all that complicated. Well, funnily enough, actually, Bob, you, you brought me sweetly back to the, the System One philosophy, which is fame, feeling, and fluency, right? Yeah. Have I heard of the brand? Does it make me feel good? And can I remember it, right? Yeah. And, and it, it, it's ridiculously simple as a, a methodology. And as I say, it predicts, you know, 85% of, of a brand's growth. And, but that's actually as simple as marketing is. We, but we massively overcomplicate it. But, you know, th- those three things, I love the feeling point. It's, it's brilliant. Um, so, so one last question maybe, yeah. to, maybe to finish on. What's the one topic that we're not talking about, apart from the ones we talked about today, Ooh, that we should be talking topic about? topic that we are I'll put not... you right on the spot there. What oh, are we not man. talking about? What are we, we not talking about? Be talking about? I think it's my hair. We are not talking about how we need to attract better people into the agency business. Uh, That's what we're not talking about. And I think we are losing a lot of very good people because the, the romance has gone out of our business. And I think that it's become dry. It's become technical. It's lost its luster. It's lost a lot of its fun. And, uh, you know, advertising business, it, 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 you know, we always suffered. I'm an old guy, and, I, you know, as long as I worked in advertising, I always suffered somewhat. But we also had a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm not sure the fun is, is there as much as it needs to be anymore. We take ourselves too darn seriously. It, let's get back to being sillier again. That's a great. I, I love that. I yeah. think if we were, if we, if we could be a little silly again, we'd do better work. Our clients would get better results, and we'd all be a lot happier. And you know, the funny thing about that, because I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's a fun industry. Uh, humor is is so important. But scientifically, there's lots of evidence to suggest that things we find funny, we remember and we like. Yeah. So it's it's not as if it's a, you know the serious case for humor, maybe. You know, but I couldn't agree more. And look, you know, when I was growing up, you know, we would talk about the ads, you know, and I, I, when I mentioned I work in advertising to people, you know, 20 years ago, we'd talk about the Tango ads that was on TV or something or the latest Heineken ad. You know, now it's like, oh, so you're that guy responsible for, you know, the stuff that I see in my Facebook feed, you know. When I, when I was a creative director, I used to tell my creative people all the time, one, one of the great underrated powers, forces of, of advertising is silliness. Don't be afraid to be silly in the advertising. People love silliness. That's very true. Very true. Bob, look, it's been an absolute blast. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, there's an incredible amount in your, in your book. Uh, it deserves all our attention. It's, it, it's powerful stuff. And uh, thank you for sharing it with us. And uh, I look forward to the audio book that's coming out soon. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a great pleasure. Great Good to luck see you. to you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to The Uncensored CMO and my interview with Bob Hoffman. If you enjoyed that, then you know what to do. Go and subscribe. So wherever you get your podcasts, please hit the subscribe button. It means you'll never miss an episode like this again. Please do that. If you want to leave me, leave me a review, I love reviews, particularly the ones that have five stars attached to them. So if you want to do that, please do. It'd be great. And if you want to follow me, I'm over on Twitter at Uncensored CMO and on LinkedIn, John Evans. And I look forward to you joining me next time. Thanks for listening.